You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Herd Tell. Ah, Herd Tell Show. It's Friday, folks. You made it. Congratulations. Special edition of Herd Tell today. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for joining us wherever you are across the street or around the world. An election doubleheader. Yeah, we got two guests for the entirety of the program today talking elections. Our friend Joe Zemanski's back. We're going to cover the primaries from this past week and look ahead to a big ticket primary next week in Georgia and what's coming up in elections here in America. Then we're going to go overseas. Our buddy Bill Balkett over in the UK. The UK just had their local elections. Big doings. Very important for what's going to be coming up there. So we're going to talk elections over yonder and elections here both. A doubleheader of election coverage. Two great interviews taking up the entirety of your Friday programming. Don't miss a thing. A little different program. This is what we're going to do. Big old information sandwich involving elections today on her tell and we're going to jump directly into it with joe zamansky right now uh, welcome to her tell he's back our buddy joe zamansky he is from elections-daily.com he got very little sleep because he is busy up doing things like live feeds and stuff uh we had ourselves some primaries on tuesdays let's get right to it my friend the one that is still ongoing pennsylvania u.s senate Dr. Oz, where are we at? What are we looking for? And what's left out there as we sit here and record this on Wednesday afternoon? From what I've heard, it sounds like there's around about 28,000 votes left uh, out there right now. It's mostly absentee ballots. And the problem is a lot of them are out in Allegheny County, where they're not going to be planning on starting to count those things until Friday afternoon, which means we not know about these results until Monday or Tuesday of next week. So uh, that's already immediately going to be a massive potential cause of uh, concern here because, you know, we it might be a whole week until we hear about what's going on. And because of how tight the margin is right now, it's only about twenty one hundred votes. 
And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see right now how much these kind of mail-in and absentee votes that were pushing harder for uh, McCormick, and they looked better for McCormick, see how much they kind of thin down that result. Right now, it looks like we're potentially heading towards recount territory. Multiple people from both uh, uh, who both work for both Oz and McCormick have been contacted to potentially help out with a recount across the state and recanvassing. So we we are very much in that territory right now. Let me just tell you, this Senate primary is not done by any means. Yeah, uh, Pennsylvania, we need to note uh, anything less than half a percentage point automatic recall. So even if people don't call for it, that's baked in the cake. Kind of looks like that's where we're heading either which way. There's going to be a recall of some kind or recount of some kind here. Um, give me a feel, though, the counties that are out. I know that's a lot of ballots for something that's kind of bouncing around that 2,000 vote margin, give or take, depending on which numbers you want to use. Give me a feel for it. You think it's Oz? You think it's McKinney? What do you think? These these ballots probably slightly favor Dave McCormick a little bit more. The question is whether or not it's enough to get him to close and then o- close down the margin to Dr. Oz and then overtake uh, Oz in the in the race right now. That's really the question. We expect, just from the patterns that we've seen across the state, uh, we expect these ballots to favor McCormick, but... You know, it, it's something that could go either way. Uh, again, this is it's just a race between them right now. Kathy Barnett is not a, a not a non-factor right now. She's about eight. She's about seven points behind both uh, both other both of the other candidates in the top right now, and Oz and McCormick. So it's really just going to come down between what do those ballots show up like for Oz and McCormick? What day? What are they from? Are they election day votes? Are they absentee votes? And you know, who are they pushing towards to get towards that victory? The other thing in Pennsylvania on the Republican side, of course, uh, Doug Mastriano easily cruised uh, to the governor nomination. I I wish I had some gifts of your reaction uh, on the live feed when this came through. Talk about it. Uh, You you guys at Election Stash Daily said this automatically makes the governorship a lean Democratic. Uh, Just give me your feel on it, because he won very easily. He lapped the field. He got up into the 40s in a multiple uh, person field. How bad is this for the Republican Party? Because I've said it publicly, I'll say it again here. This guy is unfit for office. He shouldn't have any elected office whatsoever, especially governorship of one of our larger states. Yeah, the problem for Mastriano is, you know, we've you know, you have outsiders who and businessmen who you've seen before who have come out and they kind of say crazy things like he does. But the thing is, is that Mastriano, as an elected official, as a state senator, he has a record and he that record is not great to say the least, in terms of probably winning over moderates and winning over key voters that you still do need to win, even a Republican favored year uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. And, you know, there are there are tweets out there of him supporting martial law. There there is a screenshot of a tweet that he retweeted that said that Doug Mastriano should be the president. Trump should appoint uh, point Doug Mastriano to lead martial law in the country to figure out what the hell went out wrong with uh, Election Day 2020. And, you know, and then Mastriano retweeted that tweet from his personal account, not from his state senate. There is just my concern is that even if he does try the moderate, there's just I don't think he can. There is just too much stuff out there of him like going all in on some of a lot of the nonsense surrounding 2020 and then going above and beyond that, uh, that that's what I think makes a concern for a lot of us. And that's what makes a concern for you know a, a lot of republicans in the state that's why they were trying to coalesce at the end there obviously didn't work it didn't help him that trump decided to endorse mastriano 
as kind of a, a record hedge because he was so concerned about Oz losing in the end that he decided to, a lot of reports saying that he endorsed Mastriano because he wanted a victory in the state and that just propelled Mastriano over. It is, it is just a really concerning thing though. Uh, in terms of winning back the governor's race for Republicans, there's a lot of people there who are really concerned about uh, him being able to get over the hump. And Pennsylvania has done this before where it has elected Republican congressman, it has elected Republican senator, it has elected Republican state house and state senate, but then it elects Democratic governor because either a Republican governor candidate was too crazy or was too unliked to get past a relatively likable Democratic candidate. It happened in 2014. I'm very fearful that it could happen again here in 2022 for Republicans. Yeah, and one thing he hasn't retracted that might be the craziest thing he says yet as far as the average voter getting upset about it. He wants to deregister every single registered voter and re-register them. That, that kind of stuff just, you, I can't even imagine you thinking that, let alone saying like telling voters, I'm going to really hassle your life, every single one of you. Doesn't sound good. Um, before we move off Pennsylvania real quick, of course, uh, John Fetterman, who's still in the hospital, I think he was going to get out today, perhaps. Mm. Um, he won his very convincingly. Connor Lamb was thought of as kind of a rising star a few years ago. He got absolutely woodshedded in this race. Fetterman, uh, is he the favorite in this race? Would Dr. Oz be the favorite? Uh, how do you stack that up? You know, uh, it's probably well, probably a fit. It's, it's a toss up race right now. We've had it rated as toss up since we knew that Senator Toomey was retiring. You know, either either Oz or McCormick as the Republican nominee. This is going to be a toss up against Fetterman just because of the closeness of the state. Uh, but, you know, uh, Fetterman does have some angles he may have to work with. If you look kind of deeper into the numbers, uh, he finished a distant third in some very heavily uh, black areas in Philadelphia last night. That will bring some concern to uh Democratic strategists, uh, whether or not he can their their ticket can bring out the African-American vote, especially in Philadelphia for for the uh, for the fall. That is going to be a key interest of concern here. Fetterman is certainly not someone that should be underestimated, though. I've seen far too many Republicans online underestimate Fetterman. You know, he is not. I've said this before. He is not someone who should be underestimated. I do think that Republicans can end up favoring the seat by the time fall comes around. But he's not someone that you can overlook and just say, well, he's a guy who dresses funny. He's not going to win in Pennsylvania. You know, you can't say that. That's not something you can say. That's not something you can believe. Uh, you know, this is going to be a close race again here in Pennsylvania. And having Mastriano as the governor's nominee doesn't necessarily help matters in that regard either. I hate to put it this way, but we, we got to go off recency bias a little bit. Despite who the candidates are, and I agree with you, Fetter, Fetterman's got a different kind of style, which people have a hard time getting their head around. That doesn't mean it's not going to be effective. If you get a Dr. Oz, let's say he wins this and pulls this out, you have Mastriano on the ticket. But a lot of people thought Pennsylvania was a gettable get for the Republican Party. I'm starting to get Georgia runoff vibes with these two candidates. Yeah, you know, I would almost say the difference is almost more in style and appearance than even it was in Georgia. I mean, I don't think you get difference in style and appearance than you could get from Doug Mastriano, who you know, champion of like kind of like the real right compared to Oz, who even even though he meant pushed up to the Trump base, certainly is someone who looks significantly more like an act, someone who's significantly more like a Lehigh Valley or Philly suburbs based Republican. Uh, you know, I, I think even more so the Georgia runoffs, we have two very contrasting styles of candidates. I think I don't think we really know how this is going to work out for and I don't think we really know what's it going to do when it comes to, you know, how these two are going to interact, whether that's Mastriano and Oz or Mastriano and McCormick, I don't think we really know how they're going to be able to interact with each other. 
And I don't know how Mastriano is able to, he's going to have to temper himself down if he wants to have a chance. And if he wants to work with these Senate candidates, he's going to have to temper himself down from his acts in the primary. Uh, you know, we, and I don't know how he's going to do that, but we're going to see, and we're going to have to find out. Yeah. That victory speech last night did not indicate he was in the mode to do that. We will see what happens when the money people and the powers of be sitting down and talk to him, which I'm sure is going to happen next few days. Okay. The other premier race turned out to be a dud North Carolina's, uh, Senate race, Bud just ran away and hid with this thing. He, he almost made 60% of this race, kind of a surprising number. I've been dead wrong about this race from the beginning. I, is this surprising at all to you that it was by that margin and that much? No, I think, I think the issue became is that I think especially Pat McCrory, who was the basically Bud's main competitor, I think he very much just ended up being a very flawed candidate. You know, even I, someone who probably ideologically aligns a bit more towards McCrory than Bud, I was thinking, no, I would support Bud because McCrory already lost a, a winnable race in North Carolina in 2016 when he ran for re-election as governor. You know, he already lost that race. He's a guy who's lost statewide before. In Bud, a red wave year, by the in way. A red, he, was, he was the only state holder in the state, the, the legislature, the Supreme, like everything went Republican except him that year. It needs to be noted. Yeah. So I think that's I, I don't think voters forget that. That's for sure. And uh, Bud, I think ca- once he started campaigning, uh, Bud really capitalized on that. You could really see the shift in the polling numbers where it looked a lot tighter when Bud wasn't really campaigning as much to when he really started to get out there and go campaign. You could see the difference in the poll numbers. And uh, I think Bud just really kind of dominated that in the end and i think it's it's a well-deserved victory in the end for bud that what after he started to go out there and campaign for himself and make his case known to the voters yeah i actually interviewed him a couple weeks ago for our radio partner big talker and i asked him directly because i was one of those criticisms so you know i owned it i put the hat on i was like look this is what i said what do you think and he said we were we were confident in the endorsement we know the numbers we saw off the endorsement we were going to go to all the counties uh, do our ground game and then do TV at the end. And that really worked for him. So all credit to him. I, he was right. I was wrong. And uh, now he goes on to face Sherry Beasley. He's probably the favorite in that race. I would assume by what, five to 10 points, something like that. Sound that would right. be correct. We have that rated as likely Republican right now at uh, elections daily. Yeah. And he, he is a Trumpist through and through, but he is a very disciplined one. Uh, he's not going to do a Mastriano type thing. I think he's going to be tough to beat. Uh, Cawthorn, we've already talked about before. He got code redded by the uh, establishment. Morning, Senator Tillis. How are you in your office? Well done, sir. Uh, <laughs> for those of you that know how those sorts of things work. Quick break. We'll come back with Joe Zemanski in just a minute. That was this week. We're going to look ahead to next week. Georgia on everybody's mind. Talk about it right after this on Hertel. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Joe Zamansky. He is invaluable on this stuff. Elections-daily.com. Eric Cunningham and crew over there. They do good work. If you're not watching them on elections night, you're missing out, especially last night when they discovered that Pennsylvania doesn't know how to count votes and they were going to have to dance for 40 minutes live on air. Uh, very entertaining. Well done, sir. Appreciate your time. I've done live radio. I know how that is. You did pretty well with it. Um, let's talk Georgia. This is supposed to have been another one of those real key marquee matchup things. This is starting to look like it's going to be an early call and kind of a dud of a night, isn't it? Yeah. So in the last about three weeks to a month, uh, incumbent governor Brian Kemp has started to actually pull away. This is one of the very rare cases where we've seen after a Trump endorsed endorsement, uh, the Trump endorsed candidate actually started to lose ground uh, in the polls. We've seen Kemp continually 
poll above around 53 to 56% in the vote, which would put him above the necessary runoff range uh, in Georgia for a primary, uh, which is a big deal. Uh, if Kemp wins that race, that that prime that governor's race almost certainly goes to lean Republican uh, at this point. Uh, general election polling shows him doing about two to three points better than uh, David Perdue against uh, likely Democratic candidate uh, Stacey Abrams. So we are we, it seems increasingly likely that we'll see Kemp versus Abrams round two. But uh, I think there's also a key race, of course, for uh, Secretary of State. Brad Raffensperger is running for re-election. It's expected that he will make a runoff against Jody Heiss, but the likelihood that he'll be favored in that runoff is unlikely. But it does seem like, from what I've heard right now, is that Raffensperger is probably to make the runoff in that race at this moment right now, which will be interesting to see on election night. That is a race certainly worth watching. And that's gone miraculous when you consider where that was, where everybody thought Raffensperger should just pack it up and go to the house. Uh, give the man credit. He fought his corner and he's actually making an election out of that when a lot of people thought he was DOA, you know, right after the Georgia runoffs when he stood up to Trump. So interesting things going on in Georgia. Okay. Herschel Walker looks like he's going to cruise to victory. Kemp looks like he's going to win 20 plus points. In fact, I just saw where David Perdue's actually parring his schedule back. That's never a good sign, right? Before no, never a good sign. Um, uh, sitting Senator Raphael Warnock will be uh, Herschel Walker's opponent. We've already covered it, but just to recap for a second, I think this might be one of the real, real ugly elections of this cycle, especially in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, this is a race that's going to get nasty. Uh, Both Warnock and Walker have questions to their background, especially relating to potential uh, issues with potentially domestic abuse. There's been some claims made against Warnock from what seems to be a messy divorce that occurred between him and his ex-wife. Walker has been accused a couple of times now of domestic violence. Uh, this is a race that is going to get nasty. This is a race that I've heard to expect to get nasty between these two candidates. There's a lot of money behind them as well to spend on advertisements for those two. It is going to be a nasty, nasty race. Uh, Georgia Georgia voters, I feel bad for you. I'm sure all of you down there are feeling burnt out after the last two years, especially because of the runoffs that took you another three months to get through uh, back, in, back in late 2020, early 2021. Uh, you know, this is going to be another messy, dirty, expensive race in Georgia. One that's certainly going to be very interesting to watch, but it is going to be messy. Like you said, it's probably going to be very dirty. And uh, it might be hard to watch it sometimes just because of how it's going to be partaken of by those two by those two candidates. Uh, so Georgia's up next. We've, we're kind of getting through the heat, the, the meat of the primary season here. Uh, a lot of interesting elections yet to go, my friend. Uh, Joe Zemanski, let folks know where they can follow you. Your election night coverage just gets better and better every time you guys do it. Uh- well, for our live stream, you can either follow us on Twitter at elections underscore daily, and you can watch our live streams there. We stream them every time from from uh, from that point from our Twitter there, or you can follow it. You can follow us and subscribe on YouTube, Elections Daily, right there on YouTube. You can subscribe there, and you can watch our live streams there. Either or would work. You can find me at Joseph Szymanski on Twitter, all one word. That is S-Z-Y-M-A-N-S-K-I there for my last name. Uh, and then for just for our general ratings, again, elections-daily.com. You can sign up for a weekly newsletter that will show you, uh, that will recap at the end of the week uh, all of our articles from the past week. We will have a ratings update for you shortly. I just completed my finals. I'm probably working on it tonight. We will have a House, Senate, and Governor's rating uh, governor's rating updates all for you guys within the next couple of days. So be on the lookout for those. Yeah, y'all do great work. 
All right, man. Go grab yourself a nap. I know you're a little low on sleep today. Appreciate it. We will have you back again probably a bunch over this summer. Hot summer of election stuff. Well done, my friend. Joe Zemanski. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. I heard tell show guerrilla style because I'm on an appointment, but I really wanted to talk to our friend over in the UK. And because of the time difference, this is how it works out. We roll with it. We adapt and overcome. Another one of our great Young Voices contributors, uh, Bill Bowkett, uh, from over in the UK. He's got a long list of publishing credits. He's also a media commentator over yonder. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for the time today, my friend. Appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, we've been doing some voting over here. About a week ago, we covered the Irish elections up north, y'all. You had some local elections uh, over there. And although these aren't covered the way like a prime minister election would or something like this, this is a really big deal. And it is a precursor for some of the stuff that's been going on over in the UK lately, isn't it? Yeah, it was a big test for both political parties, actually. It was a test for the Conservative Party to see... You know, what effect that uh, Boris Johnson's administration has had on public opinion over the last years since the uh, local elections we had in 2021, uh, which the Conservatives kind of got bounced from because of Keir Starmer's leadership and actually uh, the positive reception that the majority of the British public felt that the Tories had done uh, during the coronavirus pandemic. But this was very different because at the moment, Britain's embroiled in a cost of living crisis. Uh, the Tories have always been in involved in numerous scandals. Uh, there's the Partygate scandal, having illicit parties, you know, during lockdown when they weren't supposed having to, there's sleaze around second jobs. There's also another scandal called Pest Minister, which has uh, been uh, coming back from the ashes around bullying and sexual assault. So that in itself was a test to see whether you know, Boris Johnson's premiership has had a negative opinion public uh, perception and their voting paper, but also as a test for Keir Starmer to see whether he's solidified the centre ground in in British politics, whether he's uh, improved since you know the years of Jeremy Corbyn and the disaster that was the 2019 general election. Um, and on the whole, it was a mixed picture, but it was definitely uh, a worse you know set of results for the Conservative Party. You know who lost over 500 councillors. It was their worst result. Uh, actually, since Tony Blair was the leader of the Labour Party. Uh, and while Labour Party also did well um, in, you know, improving in areas like London and the South, uh, they weren't able to make the gains that they were hoping for in their former traditional uh, seats in the Midlands and in the north of England, or the Red Wall, as we call it. Uh, and, and of course, there's a lot of scope for interpretation within Wales, Scotland, and also Northern Ireland, but I'm sure uh, we'll get uh, into those lists later on. Yeah, we will. Let's start with Keir Starmer because we're going to talk about Boris Johnson a lot here. This is kind of now he's getting elections under his uh, leadership of the Labour Party, just not being Jeremy Corbyn. He got a bounce from that, but now this is his party and his leadership. What is the initial reaction now that we've actually done some voting under Keir Starmer, Starmer is and it's only fair to point out the lead going into this. You mentioned it, the Partygate stuff with Boris Johnson. Kerr got himself in a little bit of trouble himself. How do we parse all that out? And where does Kerr Starmer 
and his leadership stand today as opposed to about a week ago? That's the thing with the uh, results, because actually there was a lot of positivity to take with uh, Britain's biggest opposition party, uh, where, as I say, maybe they weren't able to regain, you know, as, as many councils or, 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 or take as many councillors from other political parties um, in, in the Midlands, or, but they were able to make some kind of modest ground. And, and like I said, in British politics, we've got a, quite a strong uh, realignment happening where we're seeing the Tories doing uh, better in outer suburbs, in, 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 in you know, the countryside, whereas Labour do better in university towns, uh, London areas where there are mayors as well. Um, but that was short-lived because Keir Starmer was embroiled uh, in his own uh, scandal around breaking lockdown rules, as, as we call it in the press, beer gates, uh, where he, uh, during actually during the last elections, there, there was uh, alongside uh, the, uh, you know, the contest for local mayors and also the councils, um, as well as Scottish and Welsh parliaments, there was there was also a by-election for a parliamentary seat in Hartlepool. Uh, you know, key red wall seats, one that Labour held since 1970, since its formation, and then was taken by the Tories. And they were in Mary Foy's office. She's a Labour MP. They were in her constituency office in uh, in Durham, uh, a city in the north of England. Uh, and uh, over 15 Labour staffers, including Sakia Starman, also deputy leader uh, Angela Rayner, uh, had a curry uh, and a beer when they weren't supposed to when they weren't supposed to, because at the time, um, social mixing was uh, banned indoors. Uh, it was only for a maximum of six people or two, two households. And uh, on the day in which the local election results came out early in the Friday morning, um, Durham Constabulary, the, 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 the police force over there, uh, announced their own criminal investigation uh, into Sakir Summers Act as, as to whether they broke down lockdown rules. And as we know from... Boris Johnson's own uh, party probe, he was fined. He was given a fixed penalty notice for doing so, as have a, as had a hundred other uh, members of the government, whether they're civil servants or ministers, we don't know. Um, but now there's a very good chance that Sakir Starmer will be fined himself. And he's made a promise that, um, that if he were to receive a fine, just like Boris Johnson did, uh, then he will resign at Labour, as Labour leader, which will actually force greater pressure on the Prime Minister to uh, resign if he's to follow suit and have some uh, integrity left within him. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, Bill Bowkett joining us from the UK, another great Young Voices contributor and a great commentator in his own right over there. Make sure you're following him. One of the things the speculation was that Boris Johnson has somewhat wrote out the trouble he has is because there's not a clear cut successor to him in the conservatives, in the Tories. 
Uh, is the same true with Care Starmer? If he holds to this and he steps down, is there a clear-cut successor? Or could we be in a situation come the next general election where both parties are kind of scrambling for leadership at the same time? That's certainly the case, I think, uh, at least in the Tory party. There are several possible contenders to uh, step into number 10 Downing Street. You've got the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss, who's been you know, centre stage in negotiating um, a way out of the uh, uh, Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, she's also been terrible to making all these post-Brexit trade deals with countries like Australia uh, and New Zealand uh, and, and other countries. Whereas with the, the Labour Party, um, there's a bit more open scope for who to take over. I mean, but the problem there is, is that uh, even you know, with American listeners, it's the same with British uh, listeners or, or British people. Is that is, there's not really any standout figures. Um, I actually looked recently in the most Yugo, uh, most recent Yugo polling into the most popular Labour figures. That's not just uh, MPs. It could also be um, uh, mayors like the, the mayor of London to be calm, or former prime ministers like uh, Gordon Brown, Tony Blair, and I think. It was only Yvette Cooper, who's the shadow uh, Home Secretary, that came out as, as the highest current you know, sitting member of Labour's front bench, and she was seventh. Um, I mean, on top of my head, there's people like Wes Streeting, the shadow health secretary, who's you know, a very eloquent speaker, you know, very moderate. Lisa Landy uh, is the shadow foreign secretary, and she's very tough when it comes to the Ouija Muslims in, in China. Uh, and also criticising the government's uh, levelling up strategy um, to, to make Britain more equal, more fairer, more uh, financially prosperous. Um, but the problem there is, is that ask any normal member of the public, you know, to name, I don't know, 10 members of the Labour shadow cabinet, uh, you'd really struggle to probably list half, you know, list four or five. So, um there's definitely people who could take over a summer, but they would also have, you know, an extremely difficult job um, in not only, you know, resonating with the British public, um, but also, you know, creating a, uh, a a vision which they see as 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 uh, moving on from 12 years of Tory rule, um, especially since the Tory Party are now moving further left. Uh, on economics, since they've introduced all these tax rises around national insurance and VAT, it, it's kind of got to raise the question is what the Labour Party actually offering uh, nowadays? That would certainly be the question that Sakir Starmer or indeed any future Labour leader will have to answer. It, how much of this is because British politics is like anywhere else. Like you've mentioned, the Tories have been in charge for quite a while. There's got to be just a fatigue factor with some of it just because they've been in power for so long. But like you said, you also have this dynamic of the post-Corbyn Labor Party kind of trying to figure out who they are. And then in these results, there's definitely something to be said. There's a bit of a rural and urban divide, as we would call it in the States, with some of these results. How much of this is, yeah, there's a fatigue, but the Labor Party is still going to have to come with some kind of a cohesive vision here if they're going to take the leadership? Yeah, uh, that's that's totally true. Um, for, for the last at least four years, uh, at least before the pandemic, the, the overarching issue was uh, was Brexit uh, the, and Britain leaving the European Union had that referendum where the majority of the public 
uh, said that we'd be better off being outside the, the trading bloc, the intergovernmental organization, and the Labour Party uh, under Jeremy Corbyn's reign, you know, weren't standing for it during the 2019 general election. They actually had in their manifesto that they would have a, a second referendum uh, on the Brexit deal, so Labour would essentially go to go to the European Union in Belgium. Uh, you know, negotiate a deal and then have a referendum where they would campaign against it. Um, and that hurt a lot of voters, especially in their traditional heartlands in the north uh, and in the Midlands, who, you know, strongly voted uh, to leave the European Union compared to uh, London and the south of England. Um, uh, so that there's that regional issue, but that Brexit is becoming less prevalent. That it might be interconnected to things like you know, the cost of living, the price of food, uh, which has been skyrocketing, you know, inflected. the Bank of England projects that inflation is going to be at 10% uh, at the end of this year. Um, and because of the way in which the Tories have uh, mishandled the economy by, you know, throughout the pandemic and, and now post-pandemic, Labour actually leading the Tories when it comes to trust, uh, at least public polling when it comes to, you know, trust in handling and managing public finances. So on the economic side, you know, they do have a strength in there. And I could see come the next general election um, that they could just simply ask the question to voters, you know, in any, you know, uh, election video or during a debate, has your living standards improved under Tories? And the vast majority of people would say no. Uh, and that in itself is a winning formula. It's just could they incorporate that with a strong you know, message for wider society, for, you know, promoting social liberalism, but also, um, you know, proving that they are more trustworthy party than Tories who, like I mentioned, have been embroiled in issues around trust, uh, you know, sleaze and sexual assault um, and second jobs. Um, it's going to be, you know, tough ask. And also the Tories have an 80 seat majority uh, in the House of Commons, and only once in history has a majority uh, been slashed, you know, that big. Um, so it, it's going to be a mighty trend for the for the Labour Party. Yeah, talking to our friend Bill Balkett over in the UK. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into some of the policies. Every time they have an election, they do a Queen's speech that lays out the agenda. A couple interesting things in that agenda. We're going to talk about Northern Ireland, as he mentioned. Also, some comments from some ministers got some attention on this side of the pond. So we'll bring that up. Uh, Bill Balkett, more with our friend in the UK right after this on her Tech. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. We're talking to our friend Bill Balkett over in the UK, talking about their recent local elections and the wider ranging implications there. Uh, let's start where we left off, though. In America, we have the uh, the the phrase when it comes to the elections. It's the economy, stupid. I don't know what the British version of that is, but with the cost of living at the forefront, with inflation as high as it is now, double digits in England projected to maybe even go a little higher before it tops off. I got to imagine it's the economy stupid is pretty much what's on a lot of people's minds over there right now. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I think at the moment, as Poland says, I think it's the second biggest issue, at least by public opinion standards. But then, like I say, there's there's other issues that are kind of tied into uh, into the economy. Uh, the biggest being uh, the declining in living standards. Um, so 
yeah, in the past, we've had other factors that kind of decide uh, people's voting behaviour during the Brexit referendum. People were more motivated by cultural factors like um, immigration, like the rule of law, than they were to um, to economic factors around, you know, uh, marginal decline or um, trading standards if Britain were to leave and the fact that we might become, you know, a more isolated nation. And the same was with the 2019 election. The 2019 general election was uh, primarily seen by many people as the Brexit uh, election as to which party do they feel is going to deliver on the will of, of the of the British electorates. Uh, but now with debt as high as it is caused by the pandemic, um, there's also been some issues uh, around Brexit, uh, around trade um, and supply issues. Um, and also, the, we can't forget the, the war in Ukraine, which is having uh, a massive impact on, on, on trade and also on the price of fuel. And, and, and also the rise of inflation uh, is meaning that the price of goods are going up. So food prices uh, and prices, you know, in supermarkets uh, uh, are hiking up as well. So is that infamous um, Bill Clinton quote goes, then yes, I think the economy is by far and away uh, the most prevalent issue um, that is motivating people, at least uh, on the doorstep. Now they're talking about the Tories, Bill Balkett joining us here on Hertel. They're talking a lot of policies here, but we're just kind of looking at it from the outside. You're there, you tell me, because of the COVID policies, because of the adjustments from Brexit, because of their tax policies that you already touched on, because of the NHS policies that they've been working on, fairly or unfairly, however you want to parse it out, they're kind of painted into the corner that they're going to have to fight out of. And I don't think they've got a lot that they can really do here, do they? They, they have some legroom, I feel. Um, at least when it comes to the economy, they can, Boris Johnson, should he, should he be, you know, the Conservative Party leader come the next election, which is most likely to be either 2023 or, or even 2024, then they would say, uh, but we didn't have um, a war uh, and we didn't have a pandemic, you know, in our election manifesto um, in that case. Uh, and as we saw with the Queen's speech, um, there, there's a lot of red meat policies which are, you know, going to be put through uh, the Houses of Parliament over over the next parliamentary year. We've got uh, a big bill uh, when it comes to um, regulating big tech. We have uh, a very big bill, the National Anti Borders Bill, which is supposed to uh, hung on illegal immigration. Um, there's an, a uh, deal agreed with uh, the Rwandan government to send uh, asylum seekers uh, trying to enter the UK and send them to uh, the Central African country. Um, and many of these red meat policies are, are being proposed not only because they were in the Conservative 2019 manifesto and they have to deliver on them, otherwise. Um, they're, they're going to lose, you know, a couple, you know, many votes. Um, but it's also being seen and interpreted, at least by um, some politicians, uh, as, as an appeasement from Boris Johnson over uh, distrust within his own Tory ranks, over the way he's handled the economy, the, his um, behaviour during the Partygate scandal, um, and and whether he misled Parliament. To, in the, in the process as well. Um, so when it comes to that, 
uh, next election when it when it does come around this this is the pivotal question is that the Tories have been in power for 12 years now and and they've got to ask voters and really appeal to them because there are going to be some who are going to be apathetic uh, and many people aren't turning up to doorstep as much as they were that actually the turnout in the local elections was just over 30 percent which is an incredibly low lumber it's it's half of what a you normally see at a general election so so they really have to the brand of boris johnson uh, along with you know the appeal of conservatism uh, modern british conservatism um has to stick otherwise their risk of uh, of succeeding uh, Subseding to to the Labour Party, which uh, to them would be um, which would be a, a economic and a social disaster. Because of what transpired before uh, with Brexit, with the changing in power, with Boris Johnson's own rise to power, has it been a blessing or a curse that they've kind of everybody kind of admits like this general election is going to be out in the future? It's going to be at least another year in the future, probably. Is that a blessing or a curse to the Tory Party that's trying to readjust on the fly here? Well, there was one report I saw from uh, Business Insider, actually, um, Kat Nealon, who uh, heard from several Tory sources that potentially the Tories are eyeing up election uh, this year. And the reason they're doing it this year is because they feel that the economy at this moment of time is not getting any better with um, the uh, MPS, as I mentioned, predicting that hike in inflation, uh, hike in interest rates, uh, resultingly as well. That if the if the state of the economy doesn't improve as as they would hope, um, you know, come twelve months' time, then then what's the point of holding off for a general election? I mean, that there could be the benefit for for Johnson in um, putting behind some of the more personal uh, Westminster bubble stories, as we like to call them, around. Sleaze and Partygate, um, because as you're seeing with public uh, opinion, uh, I think in the most recent Salvation poll, uh, it showed still that a majority uh, of the British people want Boris Johnson to resign and that majority see him as a dishonest uh, politician. So that in itself could be an advantage, but then that would give also Labour the chance to make more grounds. We've got some really important by-elections uh, for parliamentary seats coming up. We've got the Wakefield by-election, which was caused after Imran Khan, a Tory MP, uh, was suspended uh, for, uh, uh, for sexual harassment. Uh, and then we've got another uh, in, in, in Tiverton and Honiton uh, by uh, Neil Parrish, an MP who was caught watching pornography in the House of Commons chamber. Um, and that in itself will be a test. I mean, local local uh, elections, actually, as we mentioned, uh, have more local factors involved in it. And the thing is, is that parties are able to concentrate all their resources into uh, into these different uh, marginals and seats uh, to gain the best advantage. Um, but it's a it's a. But I think the most realistic solution as uh, date that we can see is probably going to be twenty twenty three. Wait till this Metropolitan Police investigations Partygate is concluded. Wait until uh, the late, uh, Durham Police finish their conclusion. You know, hopefully the situation in Ukraine improves. Um, wait and see if any of the measures implemented by the Tory, like the uh, energy rebate, actually has uh, any impact on people's livelihoods, uh, and see where to go from there. 
Yeah, it makes that Keir Starmer promise even more interesting if that should go down. Uh, Bill Bauke, join us real quick before we have to let you go. A lot of the threads that went through all of these issues, we talked about the economy, the leftover wake of Brexit, things like this, uh, border policy. Those are new spins on a very old problem has risen since the Queen's speech. Northern Ireland is getting messy and it's getting loud. Uh, just real quickly before we have to let you go, what's the the results of that? How is that going to play? Because, again, an old problem, a little bit of a new spin in it with Sinn Féin taking power in the Republic of Ireland. How's that going to play going forward? Yes, we can't forget uh, the other parts of the UK as well before we get into Northern Ireland and Wales. Uh, Labour increased their share of the vote in Scotland. The Scottish National Party increased their share of the vote. So that in itself is going to raise further questions about the second independence referendum uh, over there. But the, the big story I feel for at the entire general election, as you said, is what happened in Northern Ireland, uh, which is Sinn Féin uh, becoming the largest party in Northern Ireland. So actually the first time that a nationalist party uh, is the largest party in the province since Northern Ireland was created uh, over 101 years ago. And there are far-reaching consequences with this, not only because uh, the actually the biggest unionist party who have, remained, have been in power there for you know many a decade, the Democratic Unionist Party, are refusing to go into a power-sharing agreement in Northern Ireland because uh, unlike other democracies in the UK where we have a majoritarian system um, where, you know, parties with the most votes would then, um, you know, be able to rule or if they lack a majority, they would have to be in coalition. Uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, the different factions, the unionists and the nationalist parties actually have to work together and they have to, the, to reach consensus. Um, but the Democratic Unionist Party don't want to do it because they see Sinn Féin as historically, you know, the political wing of the uh, IRA. Um, they see that they're going to break up the union. You hear Mary Lou McDonald, the president of Sinn Féin, wanting a, a border poll uh, you know, within the next five years. And then we've got this issue uh, around the protocol, um, which ultimately the Sinn Féin support, uh, but the DUP don't because it's causing uh, trade barriers uh, between uh, the UK, the, you know, the Great Britain, as we know, or, or mainland Britain and Northern Ireland. Um, and we heard today that Liz Truss um, wants to scrap elements of the protocol um, in order to reduce bureaucracy, and that, but also in turn respect the Good Friday Agreement, which is what has preserved peace in Northern Ireland over the last three decades. Um, it's going it, to just because they won the majority doesn't come actually if you combine the different votes from the other parties. Then unionism is still the largest block, uh, at least among voters. Uh, but it's certainly going to put pressure um, on Boris Johnson. It's going to put pressure on the wider union. Uh, and it's going to raise further questions as to uh, Northern Ireland would be better off uh, as part of the United Kingdom uh, or whether it would want to um, unite Ireland uh, for the first time, or, uh, you know, in over a century. Yeah, very interesting times. We're definitely going to have you back again to continue to cover this because uh, it's not going to get less interesting in UK politics. Our friend Bill Balkett over in the UK, my friend, until we get you back on Hertel again, let folks know where they can follow you. You have a lot of writing credits. Uh, you have a couple things that you have going. Also, your social media. Let folks know where they can follow you until we see you again, my friend. Sure. Uh, so if you want to read uh, any of the content that I and the team at Reaction do a commentary news website based in the UK, then 
uh, please do subscribe. It's www.reaction.life. Uh, and if you want to follow me on social media, um, then it's uh, at Bill underscore Balkis. And if you're an avid television uh, or radio listener in UK, then you'll probably see me uh, on either GB News or, or Talk TV. So I, I'll, I'll be around. But uh, but uh, if you, uh, definitely if you're interested in British politics, uh, then it's definitely worth paying, um, you know, 80 British pounds for a reaction subscription. Yep. Uh, I watched some of your clips. You do good work, my friend, and uh, hope to have you back soon to talk a little more UK politics. Appreciate your time today. Bill Balkett. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, that'll do it for Herd Tell. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are across the street around the world. You give us the most precious thing you have, your time, and we never want to waste it. That's why we do things like today where sometimes we do something a little different. Much election coverage of Over Yonder with our friend Bill Balkett over in the UK and here with our friend Joe Zemanski. Every now and then we do things like this, a little different, but different's good. It keeps it shaking up, especially when it's really, really loud in the news cycle. And that's why we're here. We're going to turn down the noise bring you good information, get to what we need to know to discern the times we're living in, especially during election season. And we always love keeping up with what's going on with our friends over in the UK and around the world. That's that global perspective we want to keep, even though we do local focus, national focus, perspectives importance. It's one of our core values here at Hertel. So till we see you all again, we hope you have a great weekend. We hope you're with us for the Twice on Sunday replay show on Sunday. Until we see you again on Monday. Wherever you are, we hope you and yours are well. We hope you're well fed. And we'll see you again right back here from our hotel. Take care. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.